This morning we will be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3, the calling of Samuel by the Lord. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. Then the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh 
by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we thank you for your word. We ask, O Lord, that your word would take deep root in our hearts, that we would understand what you are telling us, but that we would be changed by it and that we would act upon it. Lord, bless us by your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is something that often happens when things are going well. We begin to take things for granted. We begin to just assume that things will always go after a certain course. And this is true of all of us. I dare say that there are none of us who get in the car and drive to the grocery store and wonder whether there will be food there for us to eat. When we wake up in the morning, we just assume that there will be a roof over our heads and that we're protected by the elements. You see, there are so many things that happen to us in God's goodness that we begin to just assume that we are somehow owed them. But a far more important matter is something we see here this morning. More important than food or shelter. It is the word of God. And one of the things that can happen to us if we are not careful is that we can begin to take for granted the word of God. To just assume it is ours. That we will always have it. That we need not make any effort to hear it. But this morning as we look at 1 Samuel 3, we will see a time in which God's word was rare. But we see God returning with his word. We see three things from this text. First, we will look at the God who speaks. And then second, we will see that the word is God's and God's alone. But then third, we will look at our responsibility to hear the word of God. The God who speaks, the word that is God's and our responsibility to hear. Let's begin then by looking this morning at the God who speaks at the Lord himself. Now, when we last left off from our story, we were given a view of what was happening in Israel. We saw a place where there was much religious activity. There were rituals being observed. There were sacrifices being made. There were priests serving in the tabernacle. But at the same time, there was a great deal of immorality and ungodliness. It had traveled all the way up to the priests themselves. And so we might ask ourselves, how can this be? Because often what we do is we equate religious behavior with morality. How many times have we often said to ourselves that what is wrong with the culture at large is that there is not enough attendance at church? Now, I'm not trying to tell you not to come to church. But there is much more to life than attending upon the things of religion. 
you see, the answer is found here in verse 1. The challenge here to Israel, the reason that Israel was having such unspiritual difficulty is because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. That is the key to the heart of religion. The word of the Lord. Now, you have to understand the the context of where we are. I think sometimes we have this picture in our mind's eye of cute little five-year-old Samuel in his robe that mom has made for him and that he is the one laying down and God is speaking to. But that's really not the case. We know from outside sources and from clues in the text that some period of time has passed. It is most likely that about eight or nine years have passed since Samuel has begun ministering before the Lord. That would make Samuel about 11 or 12 years old. Now, young men who are here with me, you do realize that at 11 or 12, you do not know everything. You may think you do sometimes, but you don't. But I will give you this, you know a lot more than you did when you were three or four, don't you? So Samuel is growing into a young man. He is serving before the Lord and he is ministering. The last time that we heard that the word of the Lord came to Israel was actually in a fearful pronouncement of judgment that came to Eli. And so what we have here is Samuel ministering in a context in which the word of the Lord was rare because God was not about to bring his word to wicked priests. There was no one for God to bring his word to. But now we have Samuel on the scene. And so what that means is at this point, people are living without the regular appearance of God's word. And remember that in this day, they don't have a Bible. They don't even have an Old Testament. David hasn't written any psalms yet. Isaiah is not even alive. Jeremiah and Amos, Malachi, none of them are alive and ministering. The one thing they do have is the law of God written by Moses. But in this time, you wouldn't have scrolls of Moses in your home. You would only have them in certain places. And so there is a lack of the word of God. There is nowhere for them to obtain the fullness of the word of God. And so this is what shows us the true state of Israel. Because without the word of God, there can be no true spiritual life. Men cannot produce or manufacture the word. Only God can. There is nothing that you can learn at seminary. There is no leadership technique. There is no technology that will make up for a lack of the word of God. Only God brings his word to his people. We are completely dependent on God for his word. And this is, I think, why the world in the main hates the Bible. 
Because the Bible is a tangible, physical reminder that we are dependent on God. That we cannot do things on our own. The question then comes to us is, why was the word rare? Well, the most obvious explanation is that Israel had come under God's judgment. They had come under God's judgment because they had joined with other gods. They were taking up the worship of false gods, of foreign gods. There was great corruption found in the leadership of Israel, especially as we've seen in the priests. And there was also a lack of a desire in Israel to hear from God. It's easy, you see, to take the word for granted. But we must remember that God speaks to us because of who He is, because He is gracious. We are not owed the word of God. The other so-called gods do not speak. They leave man to figure things out for himself. Think of all of the other religions throughout the world with men stumbling around in the dark, trying to figure out what might please their so-called God. But the God of the Bible is gracious. He does not leave us alone. He speaks to us. Because He knows that there is nothing worse for us than when He is silent. Think about it. There are times of darkness in our life, aren't there? There are times of suffering in our life in which we may not even be sure we can carry on. It is hard to experience suffering. It is difficult to walk in the darkness. But when God is silent, that is when we are lost. You see, David can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. How does David know that God is with him? Because God speaks to David in his word. David takes comfort from the word of God. And this is a picture is encapsulated in the person of Eli. We get a picture of this because Eli is growing blind. He could not see. It is a a picture of what's happening in all of Israel as slowly more and more the darkness descends upon Israel. And this need for the word of God, this need to understand God's grace is applicable to us in our day also. You see, there can be a lack of the Word of God in our day. Now, you may be quick to say to me, Pastor, I don't know how that's possible. I've got Bibles all over my house. I've got a Bible on my phone. I've got a Bible I can play in my car. I've got a Bible on my computer. I've got a Bible everywhere. There's no lack of the Word of God. We've got the whole Bible. But let me see if I can give you this analogy of feeding. How does someone starve to death? Well, the obvious answer is there's no food for them to eat, and they starve. But haven't you seen, haven't you read stories of people who starve themselves to death surrounded by food because they have no appetite to eat? 
They have no desire to eat the food. They think the food is bad for them, so they will not go to it. And we look and we wonder and we shake our heads and say, how can this be? This is a picture for us in our day of how we often treat the Word of God. We have Bibles everywhere, but we never open them. We have access to the Scriptures, and we do not study them. We can starve for lack of appetite for the Scriptures. Do not take for granted the graciousness of God in giving to you His Word. God is also patient as He speaks to us in His Word. Because you see, the usual way in which God spoke in the Old Testament was by His prophets. Hebrews puts it this way, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But you see, that had not become the usual way yet. It doesn't become usual until after Samuel. Samuel is the first of the usual. You know, anytime you pick up a habit, anytime something happens over and over again, it has to have a beginning. And Samuel is the beginning of God speaking through the prophets. Now picture the scene in the tabernacle. It's nighttime. In verse 3, we see that it's quiet. The lamp that is lit throughout all of the night in the tabernacle is silently burning. And Samuel hears a voice in verse 4. And then he does something that I think is remarkable to us at first glance. He gets up and he goes to find Eli. You called me? No, I didn't call you. He hears a voice again. He's sure it's Eli. Okay, you called me? No, go lay down. He lays down. A third time. He's sure it's Eli. No. Now, Eli finally is getting what's going on, and we think, what's with Samuel? How could he think it's Eli? I mean, this is God talking. And, of course, we all know how God talks, right? Samuel! Lightning, thunder, boom, earthquake. Samuel, this is God. Wake up. Right? That's how God talks, at least in our mind. Right? Because, you see, when we think of God talking, we think about the event, not what God says. We think God can't possibly talk without an earthquake or two, or thunder and lightning. But actually, the interesting thing about this text is that God speaks to Samuel so ordinarily that he thinks it's Eli. Stop and think about that for a moment. God doesn't need a light show. He doesn't need to declare in decibels who he is. He is God. He speaks here. He reaches out to Samuel in a normal way. Think of how gracious and patient God is. You see, we often have two errors about God that he patiently bears with us on. There are times when we over-spiritualize God, that we imagine we can never get to know Him because of who He is. And then there are times when we over-rationalize God, that we think we know exactly who God is. And we can even predict what He's going to do. But instead, what we see here is God in relationship with Samuel in what we would call a very normal way, reaching out to Samuel. 
And you see, Samuel's problem here, why he keeps going to Eli, is not laziness. It's not a lack of concern. Because he gets right up in the middle of the night and runs off to Eli. He's ready to go. Now, if you think about what almost a small miracle that is, imagine in your mind's eye trying to wake a teen up. You know what that looks like, don't you? Three, four, five alarms. Get up. I'm up already. Yeah, that's why you're still in bed. Come on, get up. Oh, I'm up. I'm going. Yeah, that's why you're still on the pillow. Come on, let's go, right? It's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do. But here with Samuel, he is so attuned to the Lord that he is ready and eager, and he rushes off. And he does this three times. Now, why does Samuel miss it? Why does Samuel keep missing the voice of God? We're told in verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now this is not the same thing that we saw in chapter 2, verse 12, where Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord. Because there are Two additional things said here. It's said that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And then it's actually compounded or explained by saying the Lord had not yet revealed his word to him. And so it shouldn't surprise us then if Samuel has never talked to God that he doesn't know what God sounds like. Doesn't that make sense? And so that's what's going on here. But stop for a minute and see what this story tells us about God. It's very clear what is going on here. If you look from verses 4 through 10, you will see that the verb call occurs 11 times. It's very clear that what God's doing is calling Samuel over and over and over again. God is reaching out to his people. He is graciously calling them to himself. But more, think about the patience that God is exercising here as he calls over and over again to Samuel. Now, moms, you know that when you call your children to help you or to do something, there is a number in your head, of the number of times that you call after which your voice changes. Right? Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's two. On a really good day, it might be three. But you start getting up into the heaven to call four and five and six times, you're not calling nicely anymore. Now what you're saying is, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you paying attention? Why are you mocking me? But notice that God doesn't do that. You see, God isn't like us. He's not short-tempered like we are. He's not insecure like we are. He is long-suffering and patient. He's actually even been long-suffering and patient with Eli and his sons. Remember, eight years have gone by before God speaks to Samuel about the judgment again. God is patient. This should give us great hope. Because the same God who is patient with Samuel 
is patient with us. You see, it's because God wants to connect with His people. God wants a relationship with His people. We see this in verse 10. This is the fourth time that Samuel is called, but there's something a bit different about the fourth time in verse 10. Do you see it? And the Lord came and stood, the text tells us. He wants a relationship with Samuel. He's in the presence of Samuel. He wants to be with Samuel. That's why he's speaking to him. It's not just a dictation. It's not just a declaration. God is beginning a relationship with Samuel that we will continue to see grow and flourish and be a benefit to Israel over the weeks and months to come. Are you ready to hear God? Are you ready to listen to God? Are you ready to obey His voice when He speaks to you? You see, God is gracious and God is patient. And that makes it all the more incumbent upon us to hear Him. But the second thing that we see is that the word that comes is God's. This is a word that brings life to God's people. Now, when God speaks, we have to understand it is not the experience that matters. And this is, I think, where so many get lost today in looking for new revelation from God. You see, they don't really want the content of what God says. They want the experience of speaking to God. They want the thunder, they want the lightning, they want the earthquake, they want the big booming voice, they want to tell everyone, God spoke to me. But you see, that's not what's important (coughs) about the Word of God. What's important is not the mystical experience, what's important is what God says. That's what's critical. And that's why the Bible is sufficient for us. Because the Bible firmly records in a way that we can readily go to what God says. It is for us to obtain. And this is the very beginning of God speaking through the prophets. The typical mode of God doing this is for the prophet to come and say, Thus says the Lord. That's kind of an Old Testament Hebrew, listen up here. Everything I say after this, you better pay attention to. There will be a quiz. Don't ignore me. Don't nod your head. Don't pretend you're listening. And it's amazing how the prophets say this over and over again, emphasizing that it is God who is speaking, not them. Now, even though some of the prophets had visions, that was not the critical factor. What was critical is that God's word was coming to man. And it is the same for us in the Bible. When we speak of the inspiration of the scriptures, we speak of God speaking through others. Speaking through others such that we have the law of Moses and the poetry of David and the instruction of Paul and the historical narrative of Mark and Luke Different ways of hearing God's word, but God speaking through 
all of them. The scriptures do not begin with man, they begin with God. Peter describes it this way in 2 Peter 1. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? No prophecy ever. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men are carried along, given the words to say and to write by God. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God. We might speak of the expiration of scripture, just like the inspiration of scripture, because the word of God is breathed out by God to us. And when God speaks, he brings life. Isn't that the very first thing we see as God speaks? In the very first verses of Genesis, we see God speaking, and as He speaks, He brings everything into existence and gives life. The powerful Word of God creates of its own accord. God speaks, and it goes forth bringing life. Now, if you want a more vivid example of this that we could maybe understand a bit better from our own experience, think about Ezekiel chapter 37 when Ezekiel goes to the valley of dry bones. God takes Ezekiel to a valley where there are basically skeletons. There are just dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, we're going to make these bones live. Now you could just imagine Ezekiel going, huh? And God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Now, stop in a moment there and think about that from a naturalistic perspective. You're going to talk bones into life? doesn't seem to make any sense. The only way it makes sense is if the creator of life is the word of God. If God, through his word, creates life. And that's exactly what happens. Ezekiel begins to prophesy the word of God and the bones begin to grow muscles and sinews and tendons and flesh and they live because God speaks his word. This is also what brings us to life. For God transfers his people from death to life through the power of His Word. We are born again through His Word of grace. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you have faith in Christ and know the forgiveness of sins, if a heart of flesh beats within you, it's because of the Word of God. The Word of God brings life. But there is something else we must remember as well. We are not in control of God's Word. The Word of God cannot be controlled. Now, that should be obvious, but many people miss it. People miss it every time you hear this. Well, I can't believe in a God who would say that. I can't believe in a God who would do this. I can't believe in a God who wouldn't do that. And basically what someone is saying there is, I need to control what God thinks, wills, desires, and speaks. And unless it's in accordance with what I think is right, then he's not really God. 
as long as he agrees with me, he can be God. Otherwise, I'm de-godding him. Now think about how foolish that is. We cannot make God's word fit our view of reality. And the sad thing is that so many in the church, not out in the world, in the church are doing this. We want to change what God has said about creation. We want to change what God has said about marriage. We want to change what God has said about ethics and morality. And what we want is God to fit what is popular and common today. But it even applies to salvation. Because you see, we want to be in charge of our own salvation. We want to know that we've done something so that we could be saved. And so what we do is we make God unsovereign. We change what his word says and we say God is underneath us. But the truth is that what makes the word the word of God is that it's God's, not ours. And this is an immediate challenge for Samuel. Because God tells Samuel as he speaks to him, Samuel, this is going to be a doozy. And that's my freeform translation. What he literally says is, it's going to make everybody's ears itch. And the image you get in your mind is, if you've ever had the experience of not being able to talk because you're so overwhelmed and all you could do is your lips quiver, imagine if that was happening with your ears and you couldn't hear. That's what God is saying. It's so powerful what I'm about to say that no one will want to hear it. It will make your ears tingle. God says, this news is terrible, but it's true. What I said I would do, I'm going to do. You see, he says, what I have prophesied before, I am about to punish Eli's house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Now imagine how Samuel felt. Eli was like a father figure to him. We know from the text in verse 15 that he couldn't go back to sleep, that he was tossing and turning. He's got to tell Eli that his house is going to be destroyed. He's going to be punished. This is a hard message. But this is how God's word is. You see, we must understand that God judges sin. Now that is a hard message for us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we wish we could just take that part of the message off the table. Couldn't we get people to come to faith in Jesus Christ just by describing how great it is? Can't we just leave off the bad parts about sin and not make people think that we're criticizing them. Can't we just leave those parts off? But the truth is that that is necessary to the gospel. A declaration about sin is necessary because unless we know that sin is judged and unless we know we are helpless to save ourselves from our sin, then we don't think we need a Savior. It is only when we come face to face with the blackness of our sin and our inability to wipe it clean, that we realize we have to have Jesus, that nothing else, that no one else will do. 
God's Word tells us to run to Jesus because He is our only hope. But that doesn't rule out compassion. We can identify with Samuel, can't we here? He had a heart for Eli. He was very reluctant to tell Eli the truth. But Eli provides the solution to the problem in verse 17. In the strongest possible oath, he basically says to Samuel, unless you tell me what God told you, it's going to come down double on your head. Don't leave anything out. Now, I think we're all able to realize it's not because Eli was itching to hear bad news. It's not because Eli wanted to hear about this punishment. But it's because Eli knew the importance of the Word of God even when it hurts. And so faithfulness to the Lord demands that we speak the truth to people. But... Love demands that we do so with fear, with trembling, with compassion. Now, if I can just take a brief personal privilege here, this is the hardest thing about being a pastor. Because you often have to tell people whom you love very hard things. And you do so in the place of God. Not saying your own words, but the words of God. And oftentimes they're not received well. So, just so we're all clear, I don't like to bring bad news. But I will speak the words that God has given me to speak. This is also true for you in your own relationships, in your own families, in your own workplaces. You must speak the truth of God, but you must do so with compassion and love for those that you are delivering it to. Now, the third and final thing we see is our responsibility to hear the Word of God. It may seem to us unfair that God leaves absolutely no hope for Eli. He's very clear. He says, there shall be no sacrifice or offering forever to atone for their sin. But we have to remember not to put ourselves in the place of God. Remember, eight years have gone by. Eight years after God has given the most dire threatening and warning to Eli. Now... I would like to think that most of us, if we received that kind of threat about something we were doing or a habit that we were engaged in, would at least give a thought to changing. But we see no change at all over eight years. Eli's sons are still participating in the same horrible behavior. Eli is still an absent parent. You see... There's been no repentance at all, even after the warning. And Eli understands who God is. But the sad thing is that Eli's understanding of God does not drive him to act. He does not fight for his sons. 
They had scorned the very sacrifices that were set up for atonement. What is left for them? What should have been their option to participate in sacrifices for atonement, they mocked and used for their own pleasure and gain. There's nothing to go beyond that. There's nothing left. Now this is the same reality that we face in our world today. Because if we deny if we despise the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was given for atonement to provide repentance, to provide forgiveness, if we mock it and despise it, what is left for us? What hope is there? Hebrews puts it this way, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. If you won't have Jesus, you have no hope. There's no hope in education. There's no hope in technology. There's no hope in good deeds. There's no hope anywhere but Jesus. So do not run from him. Do not despise that sacrifice. Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might know repentance and forgiveness. And this takes us back to the nature of God. Because remember that God's word has authority because it comes from Him. It doesn't have authority independent of God. And so the word of God is not for us to twist into a shape that's more to our liking. It comes with God's authority. I'd like to give you a deep theological statement that you may use in the future and quote me on. God is not Gumby. God is not one who can be twisted and manipulated and turned into whatever object we would like him to be. He is God. And we must hear him. He is the one who has made gracious provision for us. Nothing forces God to forgive us. So we have no grounds to complain. God has come to us in his grace. And it is our responsibility to hear the word of God. Even Eli understands this. In verse 18 we see the finest hour of Eli. After he hears all that God has said. He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, I don't think what's going on here is resignation. Oh, God's going to do what God's going to do. Okay. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think Eli knows that God actually knows what's best. And he must do that. He sees the righteousness of God's judgment. And even though he doesn't like it, he understands it because he understands who God is. That's what we are called to do. We are called to understand who God is. And we don't understand who God is through our own desires. Or through our own sense of fairness. No, the way we understand who God is is through his word. And so it is incumbent upon us 
to hear God in His Word. That is why each Lord's Day we come here and week upon week we open up the Scriptures and go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, hearing what God says. You don't need what Fred says. You need what God says. And you get an application of God's Word by knowing who God is, who He has revealed Himself to be in His Word. And you know God's will by hearing from Him in His Word. So what then is your responsibility? It's the famous question that's always asked of pastors. So what? Your responsibility is to respond to God's Word. To respond to the call and the demands of the Word of God. Because God's Word is what we need to grow. We experience the power of God's Word in our lives as we apply it to ourselves. This is where we have the power to grow in godliness and holiness. Paul put it this way to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And I now commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. God knows this. That's why He sent His word. You see, some think that what we need now is new or better leadership. Others think what we need is a better plan. But what God sent was not Samuel. What God sent was his word. Samuel was just the first in a line of prophets that God would bring his word to. Now today, God doesn't need to send any more prophets. He has spoken finally, completely, and perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ. God is still the God who speaks. The Word is still God's Word. It is still our responsibility to hear the Word of God. But now we have a surer Word through Jesus. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, And we have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and the morning star arises in your hearts. Will you hear the word of God? Will you answer the call? Will you look to Jesus, the eternal word of God? God has brought his word to you today. Hear it. Obey it. Live by it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray we would never take it for granted, that we would always treat it as the most precious thing that we possess. Help us, O Lord, to see the value of your word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.